So I was at district conference in the fall in October, and we were in a meeting with Reverend Van Johnson, and he's a credential holder with the PAOC. He's in one of the Ontario districts. And he has been one who has given oversight to our seminaries and our teaching and really the, the academic way that we raise up pastors in the next generation. And so he shared that when he was teaching one afternoon, a group of Pentecostal graduate students, and so these people had been Pentecostal long enough to have done an undergraduate study, and they were now in graduate studies with Dr. Van Johnson at Master's Pentecostal Seminary, and they were late into the day after having lectured the whole day about spirit baptism and the various theological nuances associated with it and looking into scripture. And then he said, one student raised their hand and asked him this question. Dr. Van, what does spirit baptism have to do with witnessing anyhow? Now, if you've been Pentecostal for a while, I know on Sunday night we have a mixed crowd, and that's okay, but if you have been Pentecostal, you would realize that that is a, a rather interesting question for someone who is pursuing graduate studies in a Pentecostal theological seminary. And so he did, he said what, what any respectable teacher would do. He said, you know what? This day's been a wash. Let's go home, have a good night's sleep. We're going to start over fresh again tomorrow morning because... The whole point of it is this, when we get to it in the scriptures, spirit baptism in the Pentecostal context is all about the empowerment to witness. And so he just felt if they hadn't got it yet, he was just going to call it a day and they were going to try again the next day. But he said it shines a light on something interesting in the Pentecostal movement. He said he wonders if there's been a drift in our understanding of the purpose of the power of the Spirit as described in the Word of God and as experienced today. He said there's a real concern in his mind that we've turned experiences with God, experiences that we call baptism in the Holy Spirit because we read it in the book of Acts. We didn't just make that up. We actually read that in the book of Acts. But there's danger that we've turned those experiences with God into private, personal milestones and personal achievements, and we rob ourselves of the purpose and the power because we don't take the next step. He said, and, 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 our, and our fellowship is talking about this right now, he said that for too long, Pentecostals have simply stated that you're baptized in the Spirit when you speak in tongues and not linking the fact that that is a sign to something else. It's a sign to an empowerment and it's a sign to taking what the Spirit has invested inside of you and bringing it out around you and using that around in the influence areas where you have. And so you may not be aware of this, whether you're Pentecostal or not tonight, you may not be aware of this, but the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada has been on a several-year mission to update the language in its statement of fundamental and essential truths. And in particular, we want to update the language for spirit baptisms. And one of this refresh reasons for this refresh is because there is such a confusion, perhaps, with what is the purpose for these interactions with the Holy Spirit that we so cherish are they just for me and a personal milestone so I can say I encountered God? Or do they have a practical purpose in the way that we live out, <clears throat> excuse me, the way we live out our faith? 
And so Dr. Van Johnson says witnessing, and we're going to read in just a moment in the book of Acts, is the point of the empowerment of the Spirit. And this is a unique contribution of classical Pentecostal Christianity. Witnessing is the point of the expressive and the exciting worship that characterizes Pentecostal and charismatic movements. Although in the last two decades or so, there's sort of been the Pentecostalization of all kinds of worship trends, and the evangelical church sort of worships in a Pentecostal-slash-charismatic way today, in a way they didn't 30 or 40 years ago. And that too is a contribution of the Pentecostal movement. But this expressive and exciting worship is so that we can, can connect with what the Spirit of God is saying, taking time to put an ear to the Lord. And so when we worship and sing, it's not just about learning. It's not just about the songs teaching us something. It's about that God might actually be moving in that way right now. We're going to pause and wait and, 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 and listen and, and wait on the Lord when we worship. And so that is the point of expressive and exciting worship. It's to have the Spirit of God interact with us so that we can pass that empowerment on as witness. Witnessing is the, is the purpose of waiting on God from his empowerment. Witnessing, when we read in the book of Acts, is the purpose of praying in other languages or speaking in other tongues. It's not that we might come up to an individual... I don't know if we've tried this before, and just start speaking in tongues at them, and suddenly they will fall under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and all will be good. I don't think you should try that. I really don't. Paul speaks against that, in fact, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He talks about preferring prophecy in the corporate gathering unless it's interpreted so that all can be built up and edified. But witnessing is the point of what we do. Witnessing is the reason we soak around an altar, the times we had at the Thanksgiving rally, the times that we soak around so that God's power can be displayed in real ways in our lives so that we can be witnesses to that. And not just so that we can see it amongst ourselves and be like, that was good, so that we can go out here from here changed and transformed and be witnesses to that. And so open to the book of Acts chapter 2 tonight. Acts chapter 2, the first 12 verses say this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard them speaking his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are these, not, are these men who are speaking not Galileans? How is that that they know our language? And they list a lot of languages that are hard to pronounce. Parthians, Medes, 
Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. And Lord God, we come to you tonight. We come to your word tonight with the same question as those who heard those folks on the day of Pentecost. What does this mean? And what does this mean in my life, in my church today? So Lord, I just pray that we are encouraged through your word tonight. In the name of Christ, we pray together. Amen. Amen. Now, we, when we look through Scripture, when we look here in the book of Acts chapter 2, but when we look more widely in Scripture, we find a common theme emerges. And the common theme is this, that when the Spirit of God comes on people, as was the language in the Old Testament, when the Spirit of God baptizes people, as was the language in the New Testament, there's this trend of inspired or prophetic utterances or speech that flows from them. And here's the important point. It's not just about that, but it's about what that is a sign of. And it's a sign of an empowerment or an enhancement in some aspect of that individual so that they can be a greater witness for the kingdom of God. This took place in the Old Testament Numbers chapter 11, when Moses called the elders together to help him give wise governance over Israel. Numbers eleven twenty five. 25, the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with them, and he took some of the power of the Spirit that was on him, on Moses, and put it on the 70 elders, and when the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. This is Old Testament. Numbers chapter 11. Now I know sometimes uh, Pentecostals go directly to Acts chapter 2 and they, when we lift that up and we wave that around, but I think when we look into the whole witness of Scripture, we see, some, we see some, some great things happening in the Old Testament through the Spirit as well. And then indeed when we get to Acts chapter 2, it's not this brand new thing, but yet it's a continuation of what the Holy Spirit has been doing all along with, with some, some notable differences that it's available to all, but that's the prophet Joel, which we come to next. Joel chapter 2, as we read sons and daughters and slaves and free people and young and old, the Spirit of God will be poured out on all of them. And the evidence of that is that they will dream dreams and that they will see visions. Again, this inspiration of the Spirit and, and then we we share that because who has seen a vision and then told no one? Well, maybe some. Who has dreamed a dream and told no one? Well, maybe some. But dreams and visions from the Lord are to be expressed and to be shared. We look even in the Gospel of Luke. 
Luke chapter 1, verse 67, the entire birth narrative of Jesus Christ is filled full of statements like this. Luke 1, 67, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. And then we have Acts 2 that we just read, that they were waiting on the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they they began to prophesy, they began to speak in other tongues that they had not particularly learned at that time. And so the sign of the Spirit of God being poured out on people, using Old Testament language, or the sign of the Holy Spirit baptizing people to use a New Testament language, is and was inspired speech. Now I preached a message about a year or two ago on on the speaking of tongues as the reversal of the, the Tower of Babel episode in Genesis. So maybe I'll pull that out again someday, or we can dig way back in the podcast. That was the first year I was here. It's, I know it's been so many years now, they all run together. I know it's been two and a half now. But way back in that first year that I was here, I, I did share that message about, about why speaking in tongues. Because I know that is a barrier sometimes in Pentecostal circles and even outside when we talk about that, despite the fact that it finds itself in a couple different books of Scripture. So what is the purpose? Why couldn't it just be something else uh, easier to understand? And so we cover that in that, in that, in that message on speaking in tongues. But the conversation tonight is about this. It's not about just the sign. It's not just about the prophetic utterance, the sign that the Spirit of God is moving. That's not the end of the story. This is the end of the story. And this is where I feel like the Spirit of God dropped this concept in my mind, the mathematics of spirit baptism. Because when we look in the Old Testament, we find that when the Spirit of God moved, it gave an individual an increased capacity for something in their life. Bezalel, in the book of Exodus, was filled with the Spirit and given the ability to make things that were useful for worship in the tabernacle. Craftsmanship. Joseph was filled with the Spirit, the book of Genesis tells us, and he was given the ability to interpret dreams. And even in Acts chapter 2, boldness was part of this empowerment because after they were filled with the Spirit, Peter, who had once said, I do not know this Christ, not once, three times, I do not know this Christ, stood up and preached a message and 3,000 people were saved. Is that what it says, 3,000, or am I mixing it up? Lots and lots of people. And so here's the math lesson that came to mind. That's why it's homework for you when I don't get all of my references exactly right. You can go look them up. So let's do a math lesson for a moment. What's two plus two? Four, thank you. What's two times two? Four. There you go. That's good. Okay. Let's, let's bump it up a notch. What's three plus three? That's right. What's three times three? Oh, very good. You guys are good. Okay, one more. See, we raise it up to, I don't know, is that grade five level? You get to the four times table? I don't know. We have some former school teachers in here. Maybe they could help us out on this. But what's four plus four? Okay. What's four times four? Thank you. Here's the point. The Spirit of God active in your life allows for multiplication, not just addition. 
The Spirit of God takes what we have, and when we work with our own hands and our own efforts and our own, our own capacities, we can add things. We can add two and two and get four, four and four and get eight, and we can add value in the kingdom of God, and we can add to our local churches, but when the Spirit of God is active and when we walk in the Spirit, we do not just see addition. We see multiplication of the things that are in us because that is what the Spirit of God does. Now, a common question that Pentecostals often receive is, what about people who maybe have never experienced what Scripture records as the sign of spirit baptism? What about people who don't speak in tongues in and outside of the Pentecostal church? Sometimes there's this um, impression or this message that they are ineffective or they are defective Christians. And maybe some of you tonight are wondering that very thing, having perhaps never experienced that particular sign that is attested to in the book of Acts and in the Old Testament and in 1 Corinthians and all throughout the word of God. What about Billy Graham, you might ask? What about our neighboring pastors and our colleagues and those outside of the Pentecostal tradition? Were they effective? Are they effective? Well, of of course they are effective. I mean, who would be the person to stand up and say that Billy Graham's legacy in the world, probably the most well-known Christian evangelist of the last century, who would stand up and say that certainly he wasn't effective? What I like to turn to sometimes is Acts chapter 18 to understand sometimes what is going on when we have these, these conversations and these little feuds inside of the church. Acts chapter 18, verses 24 to 26. It's this fascinating little story here about a Jew named Apollos. And Apollos later went on and preached and was influential in the church in Corinth. We can read about him in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians. But Acts chapter 18 verse 24 says this, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. And he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. And he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. Now here's something interesting that the writer Luke throws in. Though he knew only the baptism of John. Now in the book of Acts, we have a contrast between the baptism of John and the baptism in the Spirit. And both are understood as having their place in time, but we, we understand that those two things are contrasted sometimes. And Apollos knew only the baptism of John, yet he was incredibly effective in that moment. Now here's, this is interesting, 28. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Here's the thing. There is never a ceiling to our experience with the Lord. There is never a place where we say we have arrived, we know enough, we are built up and edified enough, we are competent enough, we have enough of a measure of the Spirit working in our life that we are good. There is always more. And so I've always liked this particular passage 
to help resolve the question of, well, what about people who don't walk in the sign that we see in Scripture and through the Old Testament? This sign of prophetic utterances and language. Of course there is effectiveness. Of course there is effectiveness outside of the Pentecostal church. Because if there wasn't, we never would have made it to the 1900s for there to be a church to become infused with the Pentecostal movement. The Pentecostal gift to the church is that there is multiplication power available through the Holy Spirit. And we see in the Word of God from the Old Testament to the New that the sign is prophetic speech. And this power of the Holy Spirit has seen the rise of the largest group of Protestant Christians in the last century. I was on a conference call with some of our national office. No, it was in person. I was in Truro at our district office in person with one of the uh, a gentleman from our national office, and we were discussing our movements, and we were discussing the the growth, and and particularly in the last decade or so, the plateauing of the Pentecostal movement in Canada. But then here was the hope when we looked in our history. Over the past 100 years, the Pentecostal movement, even in Canada, has gone from about 18 churches to 1,200 churches. No other Christian movement has ever done that. And worldwide, it's even grander than that. And so the power of the Holy Spirit is evidenced through this, and this is the gift of the Pentecostal movement to the church. But the fact that classical Pentecostals have brought this awareness and have brought this to the church is not a reason for Pentecostals to become prideful and to assume that the Pentecostal church is the only church because we've gone down that path in church history. Just read the Pentecostal testimony from the 60s and 70s. I have a few times. And I think it's fascinating that that period of time directly correlates to the time when our movement began to plateau in North America also. Scripture tells us pride comes before a fall. And so here's the thing. Through the power of the Spirit, the church has the potential for a multiplication of its efforts, not just an addition as we have through our own human efforts. We see this in the, in the Old Testament again. Not by might, but by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And here's just a couple other things tonight on this topic. With great blessing, with great empowerment, comes great responsibility. Even though the power of the Spirit multiplies our effectiveness in the kingdom of God, and even though it multiplies our effectiveness for the church, there's times that as Pentecostals, we want to keep that power and that fire for ourselves. We want to keep it inside of our building. We want to safeguard it here around the altar. And we want to keep it in a bottle just for us so that we can enjoy the power of the presence of God. The power of the Holy Spirit is great. 
and grand. And moves of the Spirit of God are powerful. But here's the thing. When Pentecostal fire, call it what you want, moves of the Spirit, when the power of the Spirit is internalized and held tight and not allowed to empower us to be the witnesses out there that we ought to have been, it tends to have the exact opposite effect. It burns down people and it burns up churches. When God's people are not fishing, they're fighting. Pastor Moss once preached that message here at Evangel Assembly. I know Paul and Brenda shared that with me. I've never forgot that particular message. I know you haven't either, Paul. When God's people are not fishing, they're fighting. Was that word really from the Lord? Was that prophetic utterance in the flesh? Or was that person qualified to even hear from the Spirit? Did that distract or take away from the gathering? Was it too long? I think it was too short. Was that message really anointed? Did I feel anything from it? Was there an altar call? Mm, And how many responded? That's right. I think the pastor lost his fire. Which, by the way, you have no idea the pressure on Pentecostal pastors to make something happen through the Spirit. You have no idea the pressure that is on Pentecostal pastors, and unless you've walked in it, you cannot possibly understand that pressure. A good day in church, we all have different meanings by that. But sometimes that becomes the best indicator of if the Spirit is moving. But when we reduce the Pentecostal blessing, the power of the Spirit to those things, and we see little connection between the church and the community, we are falling far short of what that sign of the Spirit ought to mean in our lives. Because the filling of the Holy Spirit was never meant to be something kept to ourselves. In Acts chapter 2, were they filled with the Spirit in the upper room? And did they just dance around in the upper room? Did they stomp around the upper room? Did they Jericho march around the upper room? They went out where? into the streets, and they were still speaking in tongues in the streets, which is fascinating. Paul probably would have had a small heyday with them if, in fact, they weren't speaking actual languages that were edifying people at that point in time. But they went out into the streets, and this Pentecostal fire that birthed within them was brought outside and was expressed outside, and the resulting fact of that is it gained the attention of the people. Not all of it positive. Some thought they had just come from the tavern, that they were a little tipsy, and then someone else pointed out, but it's only early in the day. Pentecostals only do that at night. No. No, of course not. So where was I now? That was a spontaneous joke. (laughs) But when we see little connection between what we do in our church gatherings and what we see as an expression of witness in the community around us, we see a disconnect there, and we should see a red flag there that if, if all we are concerned about is our experience of the Spirit here and not what that is a sign of, of empowered witness out there, then we're not living in the full measure of what the Pentecostal blessing is all about anyhow. What's our first priority for Evangel Assembly this year? Each one, each one reach one. 
each one reach one. We have two priorities this year, and they're easy to remember, and I'm not going to stop saying them so that we all remember them. But one of our priorities this year is that here at Evangel Assembly, that every single one of us would play a role in getting someone moving closer to Christ by the end of the year. That by our consistent effort and impact in someone's life, we will see them moving closer to Christ, starting a journey with Christ by the end of this year. And we don't even have to stop at one. But if each one could reach one to start, I think that might start a a small snowball. You know what happens to a snowball? It picks up momentum and it starts rolling. Pentecostal fire is meant to be burned brightest outside of the church. Because how will, we, how will people know if we don't tell them? Paul says in Romans, how will they know if we do not preach? And so the purpose of the empowerment is to reach people. And I think the truest measure of the move of the Spirit is if sinners are repentant, and if there's transformation taking place in people's lives, is there greater expressions of love in the church? And is there greater expressions of repentance for people that walk into the church? That, I think, is the greatest measure of whether the Spirit of God is active or moving. And we've had a great season here at Evangel Assembly in 2019, experienced a great season in the fall. But we don't want to keep looking back. We want to look forward, and we want to move out and reach and serve in 2020. Now, in addition, one more thing. In addition to keeping the fire of the Spirit in a box just for us, and only for us, and and not using it for what it was intended, we also have one other thing that we do sometimes is we, we sometimes doubt the effectiveness of our experience with God, and we step back from taking use of it. We might say, yeah, God did some things in my heart. God, God showed me some things. God really revved up my internal passion, but I don't know. Maybe it was just me. Maybe it was just the, the music. I, I don't know. You know, sometimes we walk away from a time when the Holy Spirit is invested in us heavily, and then we start to doubt if the Holy Spirit did anything in us at all. We need to defeat the lie that says it's not God, it wasn't of God, that it was just excitement for the moment. Because some of us, if we experienced last year on, in, the, in the fall at the Thanksgiving rally, if we experienced that sign of prophetic utterance, of speaking in tongues, then we need to go into our secret place at home and walk in that and express that. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that there is a legitimate place for praying in tongues. Paul says that, and it is to edify ourselves in the corporate gathering one in interpretation so we can edify others, but it edifies ourselves. And so get in our prayer closets and pray in those ways that the Spirit has given us. If there was a desire for greater holiness placed on our lives, if we were convicted by God about different things, then we too can walk in that. And don't wake up the next morning and say, well, maybe, I don't know, was that God? But we can walk in those things. If there was a calling or a direction and a passion put on our life, then we can walk in that. But we have a tendency as people to revert back to our comfort zones even after we're stretched. Like an elastic band. You know, you can take an elastic band and you can stretch it pretty far, right? 
You can put it around big packages of paper and collect them all up. But then when you take it off that big package of paper and set it back on the desk, what happens to the elastic band? It goes back to its comfortable shape and size. And so when the Lord brings us to another place of encounter or experience with him, don't let the enemy steal that away. Don't let the enemy invalidate that and say that wasn't God. Someone said this once, and I thought this was great. When the Spirit of God does something or challenges us, remind ourselves daily of it for a week. Every day for a week, remind ourselves, walk in it daily for a week. And after that, remind ourselves weekly for a month. Maybe if you have a fancy smartphone, you can set a reminder. And then after you've reminded yourself weekly for a month, four weeks, then remind yourself monthly for a year. And after all of that, you will not forget the most important things that the Spirit of God has deposited into your heart. And so folks, tonight, here's, here's the bottom line on all of this. Because I know on Sunday nights we're, we're a mixed crowd. We're not all Pentecostal, and that's okay. But whatever your experience is with Christ, continue to seek God because there is not a ceiling on our experience with God. There is not a, a ceiling where we have reached and where we are ending. There is always more of God. And some tonight, you will say, yeah, you know, I've walked in that sign that the Word of God talks about, that sign of, of speaking in other tongues and, or prophetic utterances, and I've walked in that, and I've walked in the empowerment that comes in that. And some people tonight will say, well, I haven't, and what does that mean? It doesn't mean you're not worthy. It doesn't mean you're not faithful. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean that you're not loved by God. And it doesn't mean you're not useful in the kingdom of God. And really, to be frankly honest, I keep waiting for an older credential holder than me to step up and tell me the answer to this so that I have a really great answer of why sometimes people walk in that sign gift and other times people don't. So for now, I'm going to blame it on the old people who for having not answered answered that question. Not you guys, just the credential holders. Someday, I probably will be that old person that will have to find an answer. So I'm hoping someone passes a torch to me somewhere along the way. Because left to our own devices, sometimes we, we, we blame ourselves. Sometimes we blame our churches. Sometimes we blame our leaders. Sometimes we blame our theology. Sometimes we blame all kinds of things left to ourselves. But none of those things is really a great idea. And so tonight, I want us just to take a moment before we leave. I'm going to go back to the piano. We'll sing that, that song that we ended with, Holy Spirit, rain down. And I want us just to take a moment and worship God before we head out. Express praise and worship for him. Ask for him to, to challenge you and inspire you. Ask for him to empower you with this Holy Spirit that you might be a witness. And some, you know, maybe if you will, you will experience that, that sign gift that comes on you as the Spirit of God gives utterance. Some of you may see a vision or dream dreams. It might be here. It might even be after you leave tonight and walk away. But there is more. 
And of course, in March, we'll have a worship and prayer gathering at the end of March. And we'll take extended time to worship and to wait and to experience God in that gathering. But here's the thing. It's not just about what happens here. That is a sign that points to what is our purpose and what is to come next, which is to be changed when we leave here, empowered to witness to people, and particularly here at Evangel, if you're part of our church, each one to reach one. That is the purpose of the empowerment. So let's stand together and let's pray for a moment tonight. God.